Brought to you by JMR Rentals, professional digital cinema and broadcast equipment rentals in Brooklyn, New York. JMRNY.com. Hello and welcome to No Rest for the Weekend. I'm Jason Godby, and in October, I attended the NAB show at the Jacob Javits Center in New York City, where I had a chance to interview the show's keynote speaker, award-winning producer, Media Universe cartographer, and friend of the show, Mr. Evan Shapiro. Can you kind of explain what you're doing here and kind of what your talk was about? Sure. I was asked to give the keynote at NAB, and I spoke about the rate of change and how it is now a constant everyday thing in our industry and not something you schedule for once a quarter or once a year. Um, talked about really where television is headed, um, both as a um, entertainment product for consumers, but also from just a pure economic standpoint and, and where the money is going to be going and coming. Where is television headed now? So television, I mean, we used to talk about uh, broadcast versus cable and then TV versus streaming. Now it's really all just streaming. Television is one thing. Um, but you have these major companies who are bundling their television offerings, including the Emmy Award winner and the Oscar winner, with things like cloud and gaming and music. Uh, at Amazon, you, you see them bundling it with home delivery. And that bundle, that Maslow's bundle, that lifestyle bundle, is really replacing the triple play, that uh, phone, video, broadband bundle of channels that you got. That's actually dissipating at a very rapid rate. In fact, broadband hit a, hit a ceiling in second quarter. And so what's replacing that is this efficient um, and economic bundling of services around the lifestyle of the consumers, which includes television, but also includes things like audio, and in some cases, cloud and home delivery. Where's the, kind of, where's the money now? What's the thing that people must have or they'll be out of business next year? Live, local, urgent, um, event type programming um, that helps your service perform more like a utility than a hit-driven vehicle. Um, the best example I can give you is Thursday Night Football on Amazon. They had the single largest sign-up day in their history, including Prime Day, when they launched Thursday Night Football, and they also used that to launch um, Lord of the Rings. Um, they had, that's 17 weeks every season, right? You're gonna have competitive advantages for companies like Disney who have live and local and sports and urgent against companies that don't. Right now, Netflix has none of those things. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery has less probably than they should. They don't have a, a local news organization the way that uh, Paramount does, the way that Peacock does, um, the way that Disney does. And these things, these utility-based experiences are gonna become increasingly important and urgent, especially when you hit a recession and advertising becomes a very tough business. Urgent daily utility-based content is going to outperform Hitchcock's stuff. In terms of advertising, where does it go now? Is it all product placement and product integration, or you know, do we get more crazy with commercials? How does that work? A couple of different answers to that. Um, first and foremost, no. If you make good ads, I mean, I, I understand that that is a subjective term, 
But think about the one time every year that we all sit around the television set and watch commercials, which is the Super Bowl, and that's because they're great. And by the way, the highest scoring ones for many years are those Dorito open source commercials that cost very little to make. So, and Coinbase's ad last year broke the internet, cost nothing to make. So you don't have to spend $20 million on the spot, you just have to spend the money in the Super Bowl. Now think about that every day. Ma making ads that are contextual to the experience on Fast in Avon. So if you're, if you're watching mu music videos on Vivo, maybe all the ads should be in the music genre. Adult Swim did this incredibly well for a number of years, where they got a huge live audience every night of the hardest consumers to reach, men 18 to 34. They were all stoned out of their minds, but they watched live when it was on the TV, and the breaks were super entertaining, super entertaining, and they convinced their advertisers, Burger King to start, to make ads that fit into that environment. So fewer ads, better ads, more contextual, that's answer number one. And then answer number two, you look at things like Inside the Black Box, which was sponsored by The General, produced by Crackle, and distributed by Crackle, also produced um, by APX, which is a division of Publicis. This is a show that is incredibly rich. Um, it's conversations of black artists and, and celebrities having conversations in a black box theater about what it's like to be a black person in the world right now. And it's sponsored by The General. It's not invasive. It's not, it's not problematic, it's not overloaded with ads, and the general gets to take credit for it. These are really, and look, sounds like Texaco Star Theater. It sounds like going back to soap operas. Yeah, uh-huh, yep. Yes, and, good ads, and also Lucy Smoking Cigarettes was a sponsor. Let's not do cigarettes, but what's the new, what's the new version? And who do you see right now as, like, in terms of the media landscape, because you, you make your media map, and you, you talk about the trillion dollar Death Stars and things like that. I mean, you have those giant companies, and that, but who's emerging now? Like, who do you see, or in you know fourth quarter 2022, what do you see happening first quarter 2023? I think you're gonna see Apple announcing that they're going to sponsor the um, Super Bowl halftime show is a prediction of two things. One, they're coming after Spotify, Spotify's business in a big, big way. And two, they're gonna get NFL Sunday ticket. And just like I said for a year before it started that Thursday night football was gonna be a game changer for our industry because 15 million people a week were gonna be watching a streaming service live. That's the first time it's ever happened. If Apple gets NFL Sunday ticket, that's gonna change the nature of the industry forever in a humongous way. And I don't think people understand how big a deal that's gonna be. So, I, and I also think you're going to see Disney make some interesting... I, I would watch Disney make some moves next year, especially into sectors like gaming and audio, where they are not yet really involved. Do you think that'll happen on something like Hulu, which is still kind of struggling between terrestrial television and... No, the, 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 the problem Hulu's facing right now is that its two parents can't get along and the divorce won't get settled. So the second that Comcast finally agrees on a price to sell what they don't, what the rest of Hulu to Disney, Disney will be folded into the larger package. I mean, Hulu will be folded into the larger package and it'll become a worldwide bundle and then they'll start working on distributing Hulu internationally. At least that's my theory. Um, but I also think you're going to see a bundle with Spotify. Why wouldn't you do that? It's a perfect thing. Why not do a bundle with Valve or Game Pass uh, for your younger consumers? Um, or with Sirius for your older consumers? Um, I just think you're going to see, and, and look, for, look for them to make an acquisition. I think, I think they, that company 
while I don't agree with everything they do, that company of all the legacy media companies understands what's happening now, I think, better than anybody. Um, and I think you'll see them move into the Amazon business or the Apple business by making an acquisition. So Disney itself, I don't think many people understand this. Dis the Walt Disney Empire itself was built on cultural appropriation, taking public domain stories and adopting them into the ecosystem as Disney originals. Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, and go on and on. Then they decided to start buying other IP and actually paying for it. Star Wars, Marvel, Muppets, Winnie the Pooh. So Disney, like Facebook, is a company that was entirely built on acquisitions or putting other people out of business. Disney is an empire built on a series of intellectual property acquisitions, incredibly well executed. On the other end of the coin, let's talk about Warner Brothers Discovery. Give me kind of the skinny on, for people who are not up on it, give me kind of a rundown on what's happened and what you see happening with them come last quarter, first quarter. Yeah, the theory should be you're joining two things together to make one and one plus equal four, right? That's the idea, is that the two things together are larger than the sum of its parts. The issue is you can't just indiscriminately cut your way to making that true. And so the major thesis now is not one plus one equals three, it's let's add one plus one, get two, and then subtract one and a half. And that seems like an odd way to compete in the marketplace. You wanted to make yourself scalable and bigger. And what the combination is doing is making both halves smaller. And, 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 it, and it doesn't seem necessarily strategic. Example I'll use, you, use for you is the decisions that they've already made and then unmade based on feedback from the marketplace, like cutting their um, diversity writing program. First of all, if you're looking to cut $3 billion from your budget, is the diversity program really going to cut enough money to make a difference? Seriously? And secondarily, are you fucking moron? Like, read the goddamn room. And they got so much backlash, they reversed it. Probably internally, if I know things correctly. So the only thesis now is find John Malone his $3 billion, and that's not a business strategy. That's a financial strategy. So I think they'll wind up selling again in 18 months. You think that's what they're positioning it for? Just like yeah, sell it I off for? I can't make sense of it any other way. So um, in regards to that, does Disney scoop up DC or does like, can that even happen? Well, I don't think you're going to, boy, if you sell off either DC or CNN, you've taken basically all the value out of that enterprise. Um, not to say that Harry Potter isn't worthwhile and all these other things aren't worthwhile, but at the end of the day, if you want to compete, so no, I don't think you'll see them sell off one thing or another. I do think Bleacher Report seems to be on, on the block and some other, other, what they would say are non-core businesses. But then again, let's not be surprised by what Zaslav might do because it does feel like a garage sale. You mentioned that like the, the rate of change is every day, everything, all, every, everything everywhere all at once. If you're a creator, like if you're, if you're a guy who's trying to pitch a show, where do you go? The creator economy seems overly saturated and everybody's sort of button heads. And then the corporate economy just seems like this confusing mass of mess. So how do you navigate that if you're somebody looking to break into the industry or, or trying to just sell an IP? Honestly, unless you're Reese Witherspoon or Shonda Rhimes or Ryan Murphy or J.J. Abrams or have access to big stars to put in your stuff or have a piece of intellectual property that literally no one else can get access to, you're going to have a hard time. 
And the reason is, is because they're all fucking got their heads up. I mean, it's they're all so panicked for their jobs right now that nobody's greenlighting anything risky. No one's gonna, no one's gonna get fired for greenlighting yet another Ava DuVernay project or another Ryan Murphy project, right? Even if it doesn't work, it's, it's not a risk. Um, but greenlighting an unknown talent and putting the resources of just forget the production and expenses, just the marketing expense, right? Just the lost opportunity of not being able to market something else. Um, the good news is, is that chaos opens up doors for enormous white space from creators. So when you look at, so do you know who Tim Dillon is, the comedian? Tim Dillon is a relatively modestly popular comedian. He's not a superstar. He's not Kevin Hart. He's not Mike Birbiglia, right? He's not even, you know, been in the, uh, in the business nearly as long as either of them. He will make somewhere between two and four million dollars this year from his Patreon account with 400,000 subscribers. So if you're a creator, there's a pathway. You still have to be good at it, but owning your own audience and owning your relationship to a community is the future. It is the future of creation, it is the future of the internet, it is the future of all media. It does not have to be an enormous audience. You're gonna, you're gonna lose the scale war to Apple, which is the richest company that has ever existed. You're gonna lose it to Microsoft. You're gonna lose it to Disney. You can't win that war. So if you wanna be greenlit and you don't have the assets of a superstar, you need to greenlight yourself. You have to understand how to build an audience. It doesn't have to be a million people. It can be 10,000 people. If 10,000 people pay you a dollar a month, that's $10,000 a month. Build a cult. Understand how to merchandise that cult and then continue to lean into it as a community that you can develop your content on. And then if it becomes popular enough, then the big corporate green lighters are gonna come after you. But don't wait for that. Don't wait for the go ahead to go ahead. Don't wait for the green light to get green lit. Make sure that you're always making, it's gonna be very, very difficult to sell content if you aren't already making content. Charlie D'Amelio, Addison Ray. I can go down a long list of people, right? Olivia Rodrigo. Like. We can go down very long lists of creators who have made millions of dollars using the creator economy. You don't, the lesson here is you don't have to be one of that 1%. You can have a middle class set of incomes as a creator. You can also use it as a nice side hustle to your main, your main goals. So the biggest part, I mean for me and for most people I think is just built, is trying to find the audience and, and marketing. What are the platforms now where, is there any space on any of the platforms now where you can break through and how do you monetize those? First and foremost, um, hire a marketer alongside your writer, your director, your cinematographer, your editor, like it's just as important. In fact, one would argue in the, if a tree falls in the forest analogy that it's actually more important because if you could have the greatest piece of art ever, if nobody ever sees it, is it? So marketing is an equally important hire at, at the same period of time as you're hiring your DP. Like they should be hired together. Secondarily, monetizing stop thinking scale. I have X number of subscribers on my Substack. It pays for my groceries, it pays for my parking, it pays for, you know, it, it's a nice, reliable set of incomes. Most importantly, it's an audience that I control, that I message to, that when I have something I'm launching that's important to me, like an education initiative, I can put it out into the ether without having to go through someone else. 
That's really, really important. And again, think of microtransactions and micro communities as ways to build both revenues and audiences. 10,000 people. Who doesn't know 10,000 people? We all know 10,000 people. Don't think about 100,000 people. Don't think about a million people. Think about 1,000 people. Think about growing a small, fervent cult that you can A-B test your creative on and monetize through real money, transactionally, and data, which is going to be as equally valuable as money. What do you mean by that? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you monetize data now, if you're a creator? Yeah, I mean, you walk in a room and you say, this is my engagement level, this is my, this is my user base. You know, I don't have 10 million followers, but you don't want 10 million followers because what's happening in, in influencer world right now is the macro accounts of 100 million followers and 10 million followers are not getting as much influencer business as the 10,000 and 100,000 because they're finding those audiences are more authentic, less bots, but also less passive. So being able to walk in with a fervent audience that you've proven you can talk to over time and monetize is going to help you sell shit. What is this doing to us culturally in terms of social media, the way we, the way media is treated now, the way everybody has access to make their own media? Like, is it, is it creating this vain, insane, look at me, look at me, culture, I can make money, shaking my ass on Tic Tac, and like, is, it, is this good for us? Is this like, or is this just the way we've always been and now we're just showing it? It's the latter, but also you have to realize, um, you know, 90% of the content on TikTok and all these other social media platforms are made by 10% of the people. So it isn't everybody. It's just the, the people who are going to be assholes or outgoing or performative anyway. So let's, we do self-select. Um, secondarily, um, the, the hardest part of what this has done to our culture is algorithmic. Um, because hate sells better than love. And, um, and that makes the cash register ring. So the lack of regulation in social media and, and mobile phone use over the last decade is actually the greatest probably threat to our mental health, our democracy, and our kind of cultural well-being. That and the fairness doctrine being pulled under, out from under us in 1987. Those two things together you know, combined into this siloed nature of tribal warfare that is social media. I don't know how you solve that, to be honest with you. I, I hope Web3 does begin to kind of put salve on it. But it is unfortunately an economic and educational solution, not one that technology or media can actually really invade. It, it is more about educating people starting in first grade of media literacy and history and all of the things that we stop teaching because of politics. Um, and if we can better educate the poorer members of our society, wherever they live, in Appalachia or the South Bronx, and we can better spread the word of how true, how media carries messages and why it does, then we begin. But that's a generational thing. Like this is a this is a 25 year endeavor. It's not going to be fixed overnight. If you're a creator and you're putting stuff out there, is there is there a measure of that that you can add to your content without like? I know it's just so hard not to be preachy, but I literally see posts on social media saying get off social media. 
And I don't know if people realize the irony of it. I mean, it would be great if we had role models who could really help us solve some of this, but it also ultimately comes down to education. It, it, you know, you, you can't even necessarily blame parenting because, you know, what happens to a family where the, the parents have to work two jobs just to pay the rent and put food on the table? You can't watch your children 24-7 in that scenario. So the lack of quality education in neighborhoods that are economically disadvantaged is the greatest problem this country faces. And if we don't turn it around, and it is, it's like broadband in these schools, it's media literacy in these schools, it's media production in these schools, that is the answer. It is also, by the way, filling the rooms of decision makers with a different different class of human being, frankly, and I mean literally different class. Creating economic justice in the boardrooms of the media elite will help change the stories that get told on screen, what gets greenlit, and frankly, the way we use our media. So what's next for you? Uh, what do you got coming up and what should people look out for? A uh, bunch of stuff, actually. I have a podcast I launched earlier this year called Cancel Culture. Um, ten episodes are up now. Uh, Jerry from uh, Parks and Rec is in our final episode. Um, new season comes out in a couple weeks, but we're going to be live at New York Comedy Festival, doing a live show of Cancel Culture on uh, November 9th at uh, the Asylum Theater in New York. Tickets are online. And I have a comic book, uh, a web comic book uh, launching. Uh, it's actually a web three comic graphic novel. Uh, and it's a uh, Veep and Dante's Inferno had a baby. So a, a dark, twisted comedy about a gangster family in hell. All right, and for um, for people who want to find out more about you and follow you, where can they find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at eShap. Uh, uh, my newsletter is called Media War and Peace. You can find it on the internet. And I'm all over LinkedIn. And that's all we got for you today. Thanks so much for taking this trip down the rabbit hole. Now, next week, we'll have more interviews for you from the NAB show. And as always, for more of our content, you can visit our website, norestfortheweekendpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube, youtube.com slash getbehindtherabbit. I'd like to thank my guest, Evan Shapiro, and our sponsor, JMR Rentals, for Behind the Rabbit Productions. I'm Jason Godby. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.